Welcome back to the quarter of Hunter and George. The end of the summer, the last few weeks, I took a bit of a reprieve, much needed reprieve. Made a small trip to Montreal, saw the Mutech Festival there. As if I'd done that before, but that's the first time I'd been there in three years. And I also thought it was just appropriate to come back and talk to one of the most accomplished artists in our great city, Alex Bjork, who is also up for re-election, not re-election, up for election this fall, running for town ward councillor in Ward 3 as one of the candidates. I could have gone into many areas with Alex that would fit this arts and culture program, Corner of Hunter and George, Peterborough's Art and Culture Podcast. Could have gone and talked to about his father, legendary David Bjork, who started Art Space. His brothers who are artists. Uh, his stepbrother, Sebastian Bach. I could have discussed his own work that, uh, that's been exhibited internationally as well as nationally. Some photos of that, it really is. Some photo, his hyper-realism, his use of photography. I could have talked that whole area about photography with him, similar to what I did when I did the Spark Festival. But we concentrate on the election. So you're going to hear me to try and get to some things, or get allow him to share what's most important to him, why he's running, what he's passionate about, what he feels must be done in this city, and what he can contribute as a counselor. So here is my interview from the Commerce Building, an in-person interview on Hunter Street, and that will become kind of evident to you from his own studio. This is me and Alex. Like all my friends who haven't gotten it up to this point are getting it. Yeah. Oh, okay. And like those of us, like, knock on wood, mm-hmm. those of us who have had it are sort of like, okay, screw it up. Oh, that, uh, well, that's... That's good to hear. Yeah, I somehow have avoided it. I don't know. I've been in a lot of scenarios where I probably should have gotten it, but uh, yes, it hasn't happened anyway. Or if I did, it passed by so quick, I didn't notice. So, yeah. I feel like there's a certain type of people that just won't get it. Like, mm-hmm. My friend has had so many close contacts, and they just haven't ever gotten it. Right. <laughs> Maybe they had it, and they were asymptomatic or something. Right. But, and um, and I, this must be like uh, this week. You must feel like you have a bit more time because you have, uh, like, how many kids do you have at Queen Mary? Three. Three. Okay, so, yeah. I mean, yes and no. Um, it's also like, it also correlates with the, uh, like, the signs. We did the large signs yesterday. Mm hmm. Um, all day. So I had to, I walked the kids to school and, um, and then. My friend and I installed them all day, and it was like a marathon day. Right. Because not only are we 
having to install them, which we have no experience with. We're like mm-hmm. on people's lawns and like yep. dealing with the community. Um, so it's not as straightforward as just like putting it up. Right. We're also trying to get it straight, and it's like finicky. And, mm-hmm. Yeah, and I saw a bit about how you were making the signs, the process of yeah. that. I was Are you right now? Yeah, yeah, okay. but it's not, this mean, like, if it's, I don't feel it's relevant, I'm not, not putting it on or something, but yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, I can talk about that if you want. Um, I really wanted to do... I I, I'll try and focus mainly there's, with you. Uh, I mean, this part I mean, probably will put on. There's so many like areas I could go like yeah. that I feel are relevant to my program. Everything like from your father to your yeah. own artistic past nice. to your like uh, your brothers being involved in art, a bunch of other things. But uh, um, I'll, I'll try and make it mainly about this campaign yeah. sort of no thing. Yeah, Fine. yeah. Um, I think. As an artist who's running, mm-hmm. which I guess is unique, um, it was interesting when I started to have to think about the idea of having signs mm-hmm. as part of the campaign. Um, it was interesting to look at that from being someone who speaks in like a visual language. But then I looked at my garage and I saw like the all of the past like plastic signs that I had that were just there, and it, it felt like su- such a waste to want to create like 500 signs on plastic and I reached yeah. out on social media to the other candidates to see if they would just go no because I started to research it and I, I saw some municipalities had done no signs mm-hmm. and like a, a unity with that um, but it was just you know it was too late in the game for even the progressive candidates to want to do that right they already ordered their signs um, so the little sort of little sort of small action I made was that we got them screen printed mm-hmm. like I, I helped my friend that I work with who's a printer uh, and we screen printed them which is fun and yeah. hard the, the big signs are huge so it like required both of us to like pull the, the squeegee across um, to get the even pressure and it was like a handmade element to the process and it, it also is like I think less toxic than um, typical flatbed flatbed printing methods mm-hmm. that use ink and it off gases and all of that stuff so we just we're just using acrylic paint on it which is just like I guess it's plastic but um, it's yeah. like a lesser seems like a lesser evil in a way you know yeah I, I think you could tell even if you didn't weren't aware of your process that it's uh, something that's uh, like a, an original design yeah. uh, and not saying anything negative about anyone else, but they they seem a little more copyright kind of yeah, thing. I standard, yes. Yes. I had a green design. I had a, a green. I had a logo design that was like a green because that's mm-hmm. my favorite color. And then a current Dean. Dean and I were talking, and he. I didn't want to encroach on him, on his campaign, and he uses green, so I yeah. had to rethink my design. And um, I actually just took. I took like a snapshot mm-hmm. of this. I took a snapshot of the Peterborough Examiner article right. that announced that I was running for town ward, and I cut out cut out the text from that. And so oh, really? With it, so that's where it's from, mm-hmm. which was fun. Oh, neat! Like, what made you want to get into this kind of really uh, kind of the dark arts of politics? I guess <laughs> is what I was saying. Well, I hope you can hear me. Um, yeah, I think that's a really good question, and that um, there's a couple there's a couple aspects to that. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't just I didn't just wake up one day and say that I wanted to be a politician. Mm-hmm. There's, a, there's a big part of my artistic career that is political, 
to like the, the side the side of my life that fuels the themes within my work as an artist. Um, some of those things are like my um, the way that I work and organize in the community at a grassroots level, and also like there's there's political ideas within the work, you know, mm -hmm. that come from experience, you know, and so that experience is at a board level, that experience is at a grassroots level, that experience is speaking at council and thinking of political ideas that shape and form my life and the life of my neighbors and the downtown community. Um, so it's just it's sort of an evolution of those experiences, being someone who lives and works downtown, being someone who's affected by the decisions of our leaders, you know, and really wanting to make um, make a change and a difference in the community. So it didn't, it's not, for those that know me and for me, like, it's not a huge reach. It's like, it is a bit of a, it is a, bit of a step outside of my comfort zone. Mm -hmm. um, but the thing is, is like, I don't want to give up my career. I love my career as an artist. I love the freedom that I have in my daily life, you know, that I've had to work really hard at mm -hmm. um, to support my family by being an artist. Like, it's a precarious career, and I, I, I don't want to give up all the hard work that I've done, but I don't think I have to. You know, our current council members are all able to work full-time. Um, and in fact, I think the freedom that I have right now in my studio to talk to you during the day or to take a phone call or to paint and, like, be thinking about policy and be able to write it down or ideas or hear from the community like I think it's advantageous my the flexibility within my career as an artist to be able to be a counselor as well you know right right um, and like like so did you come in with it that's probably a good idea did you did you come into it with um, did you come into it with a lot of like uh, sort of set ideas of how you wanted things done differently, or at least certain issues that you really were passionate about, kind of thing? So I'm, I'm detecting there were a few. Yeah, I mean, not not so specifically, but the the work that I've done um, as someone who has lived experience with addiction, and in my daily life, you know, and in my free time. A big portion of that is put towards working intensively with other addicts or alcoholics in the community. Mm -hmm. And in doing that, it involves me walking them through the systems of support in the community and finding and seeing all the cracks within those systems of support. You know, um, that has led me to want to advocate for change, to advocate for systemic change, to advocate for more support for our marginalized communities. Um, it's led me into like, being sympathetic and giving up my time doing mutual aid for people that are experiencing homelessness. And so those are sort of the two driving factors that, or those are the sort of two big themes um, in within the community that I put myself out there with. But um, the other thing too is just like the, the state and well-being of like the downtown community, mm -hmm. you know? I've lived my life uh, in Peterborough and I, in a way where I've always had a connection to the downtown. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the narrative is, is that drug users, air quotations, right, drug users or, like, the homeless population are the reason for the downtown being the way it is. And, you know, I don't buy that, right? Because I've lived through, you know, PCVS being taken away. You know, I see the why which was a place that I grew up playing basketball in and meeting my dad there after work and doing swim classes in downtown. I saw that leave, right? Mm -hmm. and, and, and I saw 
in my lifetime I've seen Peterborough Square, which was like the epicenter of the downtown with the red oak in behind it. Um, I've seen that become something that's very different from the source of like vibrancy that it was that I knew, right? You know, and so I I call out a lot of those uh, people that believe in you know blaming um, blaming a certain group of disenfranchised citizens as being the reason for the downtown being the way it is. Like I don't I don't believe that. So as a counselor, I want to focus on like taking care of our community that needs help but also like building a more connected downtown, right? Encouraging businesses um, to stay open later and longer like by listening to what they need, um, encouraging more investment downtown, um, encouraging urban density in terms of develop- development, you know? These are all things that are like important to me, but not for any other reason than just like I've experienced the issues and I think that we need to look at it differently. You know? Right, yeah. and. I'm just curious, in retrospect, since you were born and raised here, um, like, I, I wasn't, so this is just me sort of speculating, but, like, uh, you maybe didn't realize that at the time, but, like, if you were growing up in the 1980s, it would have been, like, kind of maybe the tail end of GE's age. Yeah. And, uh, you know, even though they still are big, but, you know, the Peterborough Peets would have been the same, yeah. really the focus of entertainment and things like that. And... Um, I don't know, did you see in retrospect that it was kind of uh, heading the direction as it, it was in? No, I mean, I was oblivious to it growing mm-hmm. up, right? Mm-hmm. But looking back, you know, you see you see those things that you mentioned. Mm-hmm. You also see the idea that I grew up with where the business class really encouraged, or I don't know who encouraged it, maybe. I'll take that back. But somewhere along the line, Peterborough started to... Uh, try to persuade big box stores to come on Lansdowne, right? Mm-hmm. And that really shifted the landscape of downtown. You know, like where we're sitting today, there used to be a deli across the street, mm-hmm. right? There used to be Maggie's, uh, like a really great sandwich shop. There used to be the silk shop on the corner, which was like a three-story uh, garment textile um, walk-in mom-and-pop run business. And so those are just a few examples of the sort of like the social fabric of what downtown was like. And as a teenager, I saw a lot of those really, looking back, unique uh, parts of downtown, like dry up because of the, you know, even there was a bunch of great bookstores. Yeah. Um, there was, even when I moved back to Peterborough, there was that strip on Water Street of all the amazing used bookstores that maybe um, were a victim of development and not mm-hmm. being able to stay there. Um, so there's all these examples of people not being able to survive in, in the current state of things. And, um, I think that's had an impact, right? Yeah, no, no doubt. And now we have like, uh, like for example, I, uh, I can tell. I know just from one job I was at, like uh, Charlotte Street. It's just so much like not used at all or underused. Basically, that whole strip. From, I grew up in the yeah. old West End. Okay. And Charlotte Street was like the entry point into the downtown for us. There was mm-hmm. Parkway Variety. Oh, right. On the corner, yeah. which was like a really cool diner in the back of a convenience store. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, it was just, you know, I don't, I think there's like a danger in like, you know, Hey, these were the glory days. Like we need to get back to that. It's not that it's just that we need to learn from what happened in our history that had created the situation where we're at today and start to like chip away back at, um, creating more opportunity, uh, 
for for the, all the things that we loved, you know, and that we have we now sort of miss now that they're gone. Right. You know, even on that corner where Shoppers was, where Shoppers is, mm-hmm. someone was reminding me about that really cool movie store that was there. You know, when Ted's place was on Charlotte Street. Right. Um, I think there was like the Bacon Make was there, which we went to as teenagers, like the donut shop. Um, right. And so it seems like it seems like it's just yeah. I don't know. I think also too, like the what's been hard on in this generational way has been like the the way in which you were talking about General Electric and like mm-hmm. the more the more industrial, like our industrious past. And mm-hmm. I think that those jobs really created a level of middle class for a lot of people. Like, and I know this from my friends talking to me about their experience having their parents working there, like. My one friend specifically said that, you know, like, Al, General Electric, like, gave us a good life and, and it made us, like, middle class and comfortable, you know? And I think that we're feeling the effects of those jobs being lost, right? Yes. Um, yeah. And, and that's certainly, like, a global thing, too. As yes. someone who uh, has spent a lot of my time in Oshawa, that's, like, another yeah. example from when GM was bigger. And it's also uh, interesting, yeah. too, like when you talk about the opioid problem we have, mm-hmm. right, which is this escalating thing in our community, mm-hmm. the, the overdose crisis, like people that are dying off from overdoses, um, like the working class population is disproportionately affected mm-hmm. in, this, in, this, in this way where they're dying more by overdose, right? Mm-hmm. And so this is our culture here. And so like there's no... No wonder why Peterborough has the higher rate of overdoses compared to other cities its size, right? Yeah. Um, we have to look at that. You know, we're, we're, a, we're a town that's been built on the working class, you know, all the way back to when I heard from someone say that, like, gypsies came here to get, to help develop Peterborough back in the day, you know? Right. Well, that's blue collar history. Yeah, no, definitely a long, uh, like uh, history of like uh, small businesses and innovators and workers, yeah. Um, and now, in my, so am I correct in saying that like the you've you already mentioned a few, but like your three? Would you say if I was to say your three main issues are kind of like housing, homelessness, and like uh, kind of a lack of a better term, like kind of like a drug plan that you want the city to have? No, I mean of? no, I don't think that's correct. I think <clears throat> okay. What I really want to do is like. I want to listen to my community, right? Mm-hmm. So as a leader, I'm listening to the needs and the issues of the community, and I really want to act on those issues. Okay. So the biggest issues we're hearing from people when we door knock mm-hmm. are the housing and homelessness issue, which mm-hmm. is a two-part thing, right? That's the number one people, the number one issue people are saying. Right. And the visibility of all of that has really risen over the summer with a lot of people feeling unsafe in the shelter system and camping, mm-hmm. right? So it's more it's an issue that's more in people's faces right now. Mm-hmm. So that's the number one thing we're hearing. We're hearing a lot of people that are feeling unsafe, you know, mostly upper middle class neighborhoods we're hearing this, where they pe- people feel unsafe to come downtown. Um, and so part of what I try to do is... is chip away at some of the mistruths that people believe that might necessarily not be reality Mm -hmm. but that nevertheless is an issue for people you know Um, I think that the police are wearing all these hats you Mm -hmm. know where they're being social workers and housing support and you know detox people right and you know they really need to focus on solving crime for, for the community and they're not able to do that 
um, because they're having to wear all these different hats in their job, responding to things uh, that they're really not qualified to respond to or that there aren't systems in place for them to take people to, right, that need certain help and support within the community. Um, and then I think, so the housing and homelessness, the safety, which is sort of overlapped with the, the quote-unquote drug issue, um, but then also just the, and I guess this one also overlaps, but just the, the being in town ward, you know, a lot of people are um, just, they want a, they want a better, more connected downtown, mm-hmm. you know, and, um, and they're not, they're saying, we're hearing that people are going downtown less for, for various reasons, and, um, you know, I don't. I don't know if I have the answer to every problem that people are going to have, but I do. I take to heart what people are saying, and I want to look into and learn and activate community members that are knowledgeable about certain things um, to help to help fix some of these problems that we're hearing. You know. Yeah. No. Uh, well, yes, a, a certain level of vibrancy, but uh, it kind of. Uh, yeah, issues we face. I think it's a lot to ask to someone to have all the answers, but yeah. uh, even to someone to recognize the issues, I think is important. Mm-hmm. I think what you've been implying in some of your tweets that I've seen the last year is you you sometimes are feeling like council is not recognizing the issues. Is that a fair thing to say? Yeah, I mean, I think there's at least like, some members of it anyway. Well, I mean, just in the yeah. language that's used yeah. in the decisions that are made, I think there's like a disconnection between our leaders and the actual like realities of, of the situations that we're facing, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that how you better understand the reality of the situations is you get involved on the ground level, you know? Um, one of the things with the safe injection site is that by doing this harm reduction work, by sitting on a panel at the Peterborough Drug Strategy, mm-hmm. we have been advocating to the people in charge that the culture of how people are using fentanyl in Peterborough is that they're smoking it. Mm-hmm. So that if there is a, a site where people are going to use safely, you need to allow for inhalation, right? Mm-hmm. And so the, the all the good people at the CTS site are now advocating, and they know this as well, and they're they're trying to get inhalation space um, at the at the government funded CTS site. But it's that is an example of you know something that is implemented that doesn't necessarily reflect the reality of, you know, the culture of how people are using in Peterborough, specifically, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, that does make sense. I was going to get into this more later, but somebody I read quite a bit who writes a lot about um, the issues facing our opioid crisis and things like that across North America, Zach Ziegel is his name, but okay. uh, and he's an addict himself, um, he one point he's made is that while he feels it has worked for a number of people like our how most people um, involved in like with good intention like harm reduction and that they still really stick to this 12 step AA thing yeah. which for a lot of people will not work in fact yeah. there's no hope of working for yeah. some, a lot of people yeah. and how like we sort of need to expand strategies of how people can get through that yeah I mean yeah. I think I think the really great aspect <clears throat> of 12 step is that mm-hmm. it's not attached to any organization or institution. Mm-hmm. Um, and it really, in my experience represents the culture of where you're at. So, mm-hmm. so 12 step in Peterborough is going to be different in a way than 12 step in Oshawa, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's one thing, but 12 step is more like a mutual 
aid thing. It's like other addicts and alcoholics meeting addicts and alcoholics where they're at and just sharing their experience. I think what your guy's talking about without mm-hmm. reading it mm-hmm. is that the the system in place of how like rehab, like how uh, prevention and treatment is funded mm-hmm. in Ontario is through this really old model of like for-profit rehab centers that push a 12-step model. Right. And that's, to me, that's very much, that's a different conversation mm-hmm. than, than what actual 12-step is. Right. Because 12-step that I know is just like one addict, one addict or alcoholic helping another, free mm-hmm. from anything else, right? Mm-hmm. And what I think your guy is talking about is these like cookie cutter rehab centers that are for profit that are just adopting a 12 step model and trying to push that on everyone. And that, that model does not work for everybody. Right. Right. So there need, there's this revolution happening in harm reduction where like there's a need for evidence-based approaches that are not just this one like abstinence model. Right. Yeah. Field notes on the first day, Everything slows, almost stopping, like a spinning top that wobbles. We go to the grocery store, see one man by 80 cans, empty shelves, old folks, wide-eyed, afraid of the stale air. At night, we dance barefoot at the sports bar in our Sunday best. The word crisis goes unspoken. On the sixth day, I bike across the ghost town a couple times back and forth, east and west, get poked with ink and needle a couple hundred times, a peach above the moon beside the factory. I accidentally interrupt a romantic stalemate. We sit by the river, less than six feet apart, pull homemade cookies out of pockets, talk about calling our grandmothers. The sun has long set when we cross east to west, Three bikes staggered, jockeying for position. On the 19th day, I taste every vesicle of the orange, wonder how long it has traveled to meet the back of my throat. We weave with willow and dogwood, bend branches to fit our needs, coaxing, hoping, muttering, asking for mercy, offering absolution, exchanging sighs, measured glances at the foot of my bed. Nobody likes to admit it, but telling people how you feel is hard work. On the 23rd day, I find my favorite color in the yolk of a farmer's egg, listen to tales of machismo in roosters. We lie outside the ant farm, weaving in the sun under the clouds. At night, we venture into the dark, moonlighting as romantics, standing at the edge of a big bowl of a tonabi. On the 28th day, I say goodbye a few times. Jamie talks about cumulus clouds. We walk the path, the one I have taken for years now. Jamie takes a Benadryl nap. I smoke too many spliffs, wear gloves to the grocery store. At night, we whisper goodbye without making eye contact. On the 35th day, I drink burnt coffee watch hail fall from the sky, and think about the book of Revelation. I wait for the autonomy to flow red. It does not. These are not your only issues, but what do you feel like uh, our governments, so include Queen's Park and Ottawa and this as well, has gotten mostly wrong about uh, our, our homeless in town? Oh my God. 
Like we've had basically a system of like you know, we had our camping thing a couple years ago, yeah. Victoria Park. We've had, we've uh, had various quarters, often still like highly run by the churches. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but it's it's a non governmental organization, yeah. and uh, it's it, yeah. It's I mean I just know that. I am. Uh, I do not think we should be criminalizing the homeless, which mm-hmm. is what we're doing. Um, I think that as a city, we have this monopoly in like one way of offering shelter that's actually not very barrier free, which I think isn't working for people. That's why you're seeing people camp. Um, and then also, like it's becoming more and more difficult to find housing or apartments or safe living. Right? There's like a whole system of rooming houses that. I really, really take advantage of uh, the disenfranchised, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that trust me. Also, is that okay? Yeah, it's okay. So yeah, and I think like we just need to take. We just. I think it's crazy that the city's divesting in property mm-hmm. right now. Um, I think we need. From the people that I've talked to that know more about it than I do, I think we need more rent geared to income housing for people. Um, o- OW and ODSP are not a living amount of money to survive on. No. And we have a large population that do survive on that. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? We expect them to be okay. You know, that's crazy. I support programs like uh, basic income. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that would be great. We saw the effect of how that changed people's lives with the pilot projects and also uh, with the CERB payments. Yeah. You know what I mean? That really shifted how people had sort of looked at their working lives, mm-hmm. you know? Um, so those are some things that I would respond with right away to that question. Right. Yeah. Right. And um, like uh, with our, um, I guess... You, you said one thing about like what you'd like to see is like uh, tell me if I you can tell me if I have this term wrong but anyway I think you said something like a, you would like to see something like a drug users union kind of thing so I was just wondering exactly if you could be, uh, explain more what that is or what other plans in that sort of category are that you were talking about yeah I mean so in, in my experience on the drug strategy panel mm-hmm. we offered as people who had lived and living experience mm-hmm. with using drugs, we offered to the people that were in charge of putting together the this, what is now called the CTS site, mm-hmm. we offered the knowledge to say that you know a large amount of people are inhaling fentanyl, right? Like IV users that have shot dope their whole lives were just overdosing too much shooting fentanyl. It was too strong, right? So they had, they had switched to smoking it, mm-hmm. you know? Um, so us, as people with lived experience, we're able to speak about this. You know, 2016, we were speaking about this. 2018, okay? And and now we're just starting to see traction in that, the sort of advocacy work for that, right? To try to allow for inhalation, you know? It's a government roadblock right now. It's not mm-hmm. to do with anyone locally. Um, but that's one example of how systems in place should take guidance from people that have living experience. Okay, um, and like even with things like the drug, uh, public health has a drug warning 
thing that they do where they warn about bad batches of tainted drugs. Yes. And they do this from statistical information. Mm -hmm. But what we see is like the the anecdotal information from people on the street is like way faster, right? Mm -hmm. So like I'll call my friend at public health and be like, yo, five guys have died or five guys have dropped from this new batch of like purple dope. Like, are you seeing this? And they're like, no, not really. Tell me about it, right? Mm -hmm. Because that street level information is so quick. And so there's like a lot of, what I'm trying to get at is that there's like a, a lot of knowledge to do with this crisis by the people that are in the crisis, people that are, people with living experience, right? So if the systems of support that we want to unroll and offer, right? Let's just say we want to offer harm, harm reduction in all city services, right? We need to not just have those be implemented by people, you know, that work for the city. It needs to take guidance from people that are using drugs, right that are living and using drugs and to do that you need to pay people for their experience right mm -hmm. in the same way that city staff works for their money right you need to pay people for this experience that they're offering and the best way to do that is to organize to get them organized and pay people for their knowledge um, so union may be a bad word I know that's what other what other places are calling it that have a, a group of, of drug users that inform policy mm -hmm. um but that's my idea. Yeah, no, I wasn't taking it to be like a, like a unifor kind of thing. It was more like a, just yeah. a congregation of different... Yeah, I mean, some, yeah. that one person, when I was door knocking, sort of mm -hmm. thought about it like that. And mm -hmm. I had never thought about it like that. But yeah, it's more so like just organizing people that um, have this experience and paying them for their time and, and using them um, to create programs that are like based in the reality of the situation. So, so based on that, would you agree that like there is then a bit of a like, not just with normal government bureaucratic problems, but also a bit of like a cultural um, kind of gap there of people who've been through uh, certain drug usage versus those who don't, like an understanding of how it goes, and you feel like is that so you're trying to, like you're sort of saying it's necessary for people who've gone through it to have this voice in it yeah and so mm -hmm. but this goes back to your idea that mm -hmm. of the 12 step model which is mm -hmm. like historically the systems of like rehabilitation in place have been based on like the war against drugs right mm -hmm. based yeah. on the idea that drugs are illegal and that the only road to freedom is abstinence mm -hmm. right and so that system represents an old system that's not working. Right. right. And we know that's not working by the state of the overdose crisis that we're in now. Right. right? So we need to reevaluate what that system of support in our communities looks like. And part of that solution is to be guided by the actual people that need to access that if they do. Right. Right. Instead of how it's typically asked, instead of how it's typically formed around like, addiction as a moral failing and like you need abstinence to be well and mm -hmm. we're gonna bulldoze that idea on you whether you like it or not or whether it works or not right, right. well not just that i like uh, a relapse is considered a moral failing yeah and i think there's a lot of people who would argue that is part of a recovery sure i mean 100 yeah. percent people yeah. in recovery would say that but also mm -hmm. like why do like relapse is also part of that old idea that like abstinence is the the, the abstinence is the goal right and mm -hmm. that's not going to be everyone's goal no right no uh and 
yeah, that's that's kind of I guess this old kind of religious Protestant kind of yeah. background. We get this. I mean, the thing head. that yeah. the thing that's funny for me is that I'm not a harm reduction worker. Mm-hmm. I'm not in that world either. Mm-hmm. Even at the even with those that are fighting for like real evidence based solution, people that are fighting for systemic change. I'm not in that world. So like sometimes the language I use is different from what's appropriate or what people that know more about it use but I, mm-hmm. I you know I think that um, yeah there definitely there definitely needs to be like some some hard systemic change and I don't think we're there yet in the community we've been rushing so so heavily at the amount of death like the death toll and trying to alleviate that uh, trying to alleviate the acuteness of the problem mm-hmm. um, that we haven't really had a chance to now look at like sort of the systemic change that needs to happen right I look, I had this moment, I have these moments where like I walk my kids to school and I see them with their friends and yep. like these, these symptoms and warning signs of, of trauma and like their well-being and their mental health are there at a young mm-hmm. age, you know, just like they were probably there for me. And I'm someone who really struggled with harmful substance use, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm someone who fell through the cracks of the system in place mm-hmm. and it was only through really great privilege I had to be able to get help again and again and again when I needed it. And, you know, my friends and my my friends that I grew up with weren't so lucky. Um, and a lot of them have died or ended up on the street or ended up in jail because they had felt they have fallen through the cracks of the systems. Right. Like, of support. Right. Right. And, um, and so, like, you know, we have a, a provincial government that has gutted the healthcare system that has gutted education. You know, I just dropped my kids off at the second day of school and they're like mm-hmm. these huge classes with one or two teachers and it's just it's it's really crazy it's gotten hard for them. yeah i couldn't imagine being a teacher right now right imagine you know yeah. and yet this is the this is the catch-all for like the next generation of people that are gonna that this is it this is our future right it's a way to catch um like everyone goes to school right what a great opportunity to start to look at so to start to look at some of these decisions, what a great opportunity to start to like work on people that, mm-hmm. um, before it gets to be like this problem that these, these personal problems that people have that are just too much. And then, you know, yeah. Um, now just to turn it to housing, um, do you have any sort of like, uh, thoughts on what Council did earlier this year with uh, Peterborough Housing Corporation. With what? But like the Peterborough Housing Corporation, like kind of letting them take over like our public housing and that. And I've heard of stories where like some lat, some of their lots have been sold privately. Yeah. And uh, I don't know. They and I think with the approach with housing in general, I've still heard uh, some people running for office re-election, not necessarily this ward, but other ones that, you know, if we just convince the landlords to make a, you know, exclude a few properties or something, which I would argue is a bit of a helpless solution, but, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah, it seems like a, a drop in the bucket. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, yeah, I don't know. I think that's going to be, like, a topic. Like, I really want to... I, I know firsthand how difficult it is even for someone with um, privilege and with money to get decent, affordable housing. Like, I just can't yeah. imagine. I can't imagine. 
someone who doesn't have a phone, doesn't have good credit, right? Doesn't, like, is someone who's having to put 95% of their support, like the money they get each month into housing. Like, I can't imagine how people survive and how we expect people to survive. Yeah. You know, whenever I've had these stories the last weeks of, like, international students having to pay 1300 a month in rent sort of thing, yeah. Just, uh, yeah, it's... uh, I'm trying to learn. I'm trying to learn about how the uh, city's rent subsidy program works. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Do you know anything about that? No, probably not enough to make a full blown comment about it. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, I've just started to learn those things myself. So, yeah, I mean, it's interesting. It's one of the. It seems like something uh, to look into, and mm-hmm. it seems like something that needs attention and support and more funding. Mm-hmm. To be honest, especially with. Especially back to the point of people, you know, living with disabilities or, li- or living on social assistance, you know, how much they get to survive. Mm-hmm. A lot of, a few people that I know that are on um, ODSP, like it's not enough to live, right? And so they, they're having weeks where they can't get groceries and they have to go to a food bank um, because all their money is going to rent. Right. Well, you were starting to say at the beginning how you'd like to, like, you'd like to see this downtown uh, like sort of come alive again or at least more alive than it is now and uh, one way of that I guess is the arts now I, I know for a fact our municipal government provides more support to the arts than a lot of other places that are even bigger do oh, does it? in the 905 well, if you looked at Vaughan or Markham or yeah. King City or places like that they, they, I bet it's not nearly as much like per, per citizen or per capita as Peterborough does but I guess I just don't know if you've had any thoughts of that in your campaign yet of like the role you would, you'd like council to play in supporting the arts or bringing the arts here yeah. I mean we have a bunch of things already of course but I mean we do I think like anything within the city like I think it's it's easy to be critical you know I think mm-hmm. there's some aspects of it that are dysfunctional mm-hmm. you know um, I think that you know as someone who's had a career as an artist full time for 10 plus years and I provide for my family by being an artist um, that I have a lot to say on the issue mm-hmm. you know I think that um, I think that idea of like I think of how I think there needs to be work done in the community about how we value the arts there's a, the Ontario Arts Council, which I've worked as a juror for and also received grants from numerous times. Mm-hmm. Um, they put out the figures, which I'll have, to, I'll have to remember the actual number. I'm not good with numbers in terms of remembering them, but um, they, they, they did this study on the actual uh, economic value of, of what arts put into the community, and it's like one of the top sectors. Mm. Right? Like it has... It has such an impact on, on, uh, it just, it's, it's such a important part of the economy, right? Mm-hmm. And often art isn't really viewed through that lens. It's viewed more like a hobby, you know? Um, so to, to see the economical value that art brings to the community is important. And we need to just encourage that. I would love, my big dream, I would love for the Art Gallery of Peterborough or something like this is my huge fantasy. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. I wouldn't mind. I would love, like, I would love to see, just based on other cities mm-hmm. that I visited, right. I would love to see the Art Gallery of Peterborough be supported, which is a city-funded place, mostly, mm-hmm. to be supported to come downtown and to have more of a f- footprint in the downtown. Because mm-hmm. I think it's a huge part of, like, the 
the fabric of the culture of downtown, you know? Yeah. And, and, um, I was just in Sudbury doing a thing, uh, public art installation and they have a beautiful new mm. performing arts slash art building right downtown. And I just wow. thought, why don't we have this? It's amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but you no, know, like, like with all the other issues, right? Like how, where I enter into it is I listen to the needs of the artists in the community that I'm connected with. Mm-hmm. Right? I'm right downtown in the Commerce Building with that's full of artist studios and all of my friends that are artists in the community. Like we talk about these issues and I listen to them and I listen to their needs. Um, and so I will definitely take that to heart on council. You know, okay. I think individual artists need to be supported, mm-hmm. right? Not just arts organizations, individual artists, which I am. You know, mm-hmm. I'm someone who has a small business, and I often, as an artist, get left out of these conversations of support, especially to do with like COVID support. You mm-hmm. know, um, because I'm not your typical business. Yeah, but, and I knew I know a couple other artist friends felt the same way. In terms of like the conversation of all the things we've been talking about, is he, here is a guy who's like probably one of the most interesting artists in our community mm-hmm. you know he's got a piece up at the art gallery of Peterborough right now yep. that I put on my social media and I had like 10 people contacting me wanting to buy one you know we raised a lot of money for him to try to find him a sustainable studio to work and mm-hmm. you know he is a victim of the systems of support yep. in place of like the inadequacy of it you know, you have to have a phone to access a lot of this stuff. You have to have good credit. You have to be able to meet appointments and you need a computer to do that because you have to email back and forth. And it just makes it impossible for people to get housing even when they have money, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah, no, I've seen many people, maybe not as artistic as him, but uh, other people who just... They, they had housing before COVID or something, or at yeah. least relatively before that, and they just, yeah, have fallen victim to the same sort yeah. of thing, yeah. And COVID, and, like, didn't, COVID didn't, like, cause any of this stuff, but what it did was it exposed all of the fractures of the systems in place, right? We're yeah. Seeing it, right? Yeah, it exposed and kind of enhanced, so, yeah. Amplified, right? Yeah, amp- yeah. there it is. Amplified, yeah. thank you. Um, even for me, right? Like, even mm-hmm. for me, it was, it's been a long couple of years of, like, of like really a precarious, you know, month-to-month sort of living, right? Mm-hmm. Now, um, I'm just curious how you, uh, your thoughts, again, related to kind of homelessness and housing, is uh, the overflow shelter. Yeah. Uh, one of the incumbents running is... Uh, you know, he was one of the people who voted against extending it to next March. So, uh, but you've said yourself, it can be quite like a place where people don't feel safe. So, uh, I'll, I'll, I feel comfortable. I feel comfortable saying this. Yes. Okay. And this is a little political of me, but I Go feel ahead. comfortable saying this. Um, I think that I understand the idea mm-hmm. that. You know, the overflow shelter was meant to be temporary, and mm-hmm. we, if we continue to fund it, it will be viewed at as the solution, mm-hmm. and so we won't be able to get anything else done or something. Like, I understand that. The overflow shelter was meant to be temporary, right? Mm-hmm. Listen, we have a reality where we have more unhoused people than that than we have shelter beds right now. Yes. Okay, that's, that's a, a given. Mm-hmm. They, they just released that point in time check. The United Way did another one, and so that's, that's a given, right? So we need more shelter beds, for sure. 
My issue is that you can't yank away the only system of support mm-hmm. for people that can't access the current shelter system, which is the overflow shelter. You can't yank that away. You can't yank it away during the winter months where people will die mm-hmm. sleeping outside. They did the past winter. Okay. And you can't yank that away without having anything in place underneath it. And this is the type of thing I'm talking about when I'm frustrated by our current leaders, right? Like uh, Stephen Wright at that municipal meeting where they talked about this, he asked Mm. city staff, what meetings have you taken with Michelle Ferrari and Dave Smith to look at this issue Mm -hmm. and get something underneath the overflow in place? To, to, get, to get rid of this temporary solution. City staff said, well, no, we were supposed to meet in the, in the spring and we haven't. And then someone else said, well, when are you going to meet? And they said, I don't know, maybe the fall or something like that. Mm-hmm. You know, they said something different. That's my, that's how I remember it, right? Paraphrase. But that's crazy, right? Yeah. So the work that needs to be done by our leaders is to acknowledge that the overflow is temporary. But once you acknowledge that, get to work at building the permanent solution. Mm-hmm. You know, and end of story. That's where I, that's where I stand with it. Okay. But of course, I, of course, I advocated to keep it open. Yeah. Right. Because I've walked, I've walked alongside people with my cell phone trying to get them a, a shelter bed in the winter, and I've tried to call the city hotline. You know, like I've been there. This is my experience. You know, and when it's minus thirty out, I'm calling from my warm living room, and when I finally get through to someone, it's like, well, you have to wait until midnight. Right? Like it gets dark at six o'clock in the winter, right? And and this is nine o'clock, halfway through that window of time, and the guy's like, You have to wait until midnight. And at twelve oh one, if there's not a bed available, we'll put you up in a hotel. Right? Right. That's that's not a solution. Yeah. That's a band-aid. Yeah, I I've I've experienced that myself too, because I've uh if they're not allowed in there, uh they're often of course like either at, uh, you find a lot of like city center, like their yeah. parking garage at night, yeah. kind of thing. And it's just yeah, call. I was with one lady one night, and yeah, they're calling, and it was like maybe 10 p.m. which can't come by till midnight or something. Right. Yeah, and she was freezing cold and everything. So yeah, yeah. Um, I yeah. So that's um, yeah. That's kind of a problem. That's kind of a, a big thing overall. Yeah, are you, but, uh... I know Dean had a good friend at the library who works on his campaign. That wasn't you? That was not me. I, I have only you know, met Dean. You know Joe? Do I I know Joe? Yes, Great I know guy. Joe quite I know Joe quite well. I got to know him quite well anyway, yes. Yes, he is. He's a really good guy. Yes. No, I got to know him quite well. And that's the other thing, right? So the library is run by the city. And it, yeah, yeah, you guys, the librarian, librarians, because because there is, this, is, this is the dysfunctionality that I noticed that has mm-hmm. caused me to run, right? Mm-hmm. So there's no place in the winter for people to warm up, for yeah. people to have a sense of community, for people to access tech, mm-hmm. right? For people to ask, ask, for people to access, you know, their basic needs being met, for the most part, I'll say. Mm-hmm. And... So, pe- so people that were unhoused used the library for all those things, mm-hmm. right? And what happened is that people who are unhoused are disproportionately affected by the harms of a tainted drug supply, right? Yeah. Because there's a link between harmful substance use, substance use and people that are homeless, right? Mm-hmm. 
And so the library then became this like ground zero for, for the overdoses that were happening in our community. Yeah. Right. And who's responding to those overdoses, but librarians. Right. Yes. And that's crazy, man. That is highly crazy. crazy. And then for the city to do an email saying, if you work for the library, you work for the city and you are not to carry naloxone and because of liability or not to revive people, if you see them overdosing, call the paramedics. Mm -hmm. Like that's crazy. We need to implement harm reduction strategies and city services, right? Which means Mm -hmm. if people are on the front lines experiencing overdose, we need to train them and pay them to figure out how to use naloxone and carry it and, and just save lives. Isn't yeah. that a no-brainer? Yes. You know? Yeah, I, I suggest that might be something there. Not The library definitely is one, but, like, uh, I think some of the places where they, they have nowhere else to go to, why don't we have these services here? Like, yeah. one I, another one I bring up is, like, uh, Circle K, whichever yeah. one. Uh, like, yeah, who says it just has to sell soda? It can have, you Well, know, I mean, that's a private yeah, business. Yeah, yeah that's right? maybe another yeah. thing, a private business, but still. But the thing... The, Things like this, where they should have access to. Yeah, listen. I don't want to be too. I don't want to be too critical. There's a Mm -hmm. lot of people that work way harder than I do at this issue, and who have had some major, Mm -hmm. major good things happen in our community. We have Tweak Easy, which is uh, an the unsanctioned overdose prevention tent Mm -hmm. that pops up and has been doing mutual aid for over a year. They've been doing mutual aid, meeting people where they're at, and collecting really good data Mm -hmm. on the culture of how people are using here. And that's important. It's beyond the anecdotal data that I was telling, like the anecdotal stories, which is good. Um, Everyone that I know that's involved in the CTS site are just amazing, beautiful, hardworking people, advocates, supporters, and um, are just doing the work every day. And that's so amazing to witness. We have a safe supply program um, that I think has been funded for seven months mm-hmm. uh, and is going incredibly well. The CTS is like the amount of people accessing it compared to other cities where it's been rolled out has been like immediate and ongoing, which is really unique. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's good. So I think I think that there's like there's been a tiny bit of, of breathing room for all of us that have been advocates for so long because some things are starting to happen in the community. Um, Thomas Piggott for public health yep. was really a great person to just step in when he was needed to step in and put pressure on the province to really get going with their part in, in getting over the, the CTS site going. Mm-hmm. So that was huge. So there's like a, there are a lot of things. There's a few things. There's there's a lot to be um, hopeful about, and there's a lot to be thankful for. The RAM Clinic. RAM Clinic has been going for a little longer, but the Rapid Access Addiction Medicine, I think, clinic uh, has been going since the Wing government, so maybe 2018. Mm-hmm. It's been here, but it's been a huge support. I would be, I would love to advocate for them to have more longer hours. You know, I think they have um, sort of limited hours. And then the other thing that they're seeing at the RAM Clinic is that people's need to have like family doctors so people who are access, accessing RAM for like addiction stuff mm-hmm. are also then using their time with the doctor for like other medical stuff that they might not necessarily have the time for so that's interesting to look at but there's a lot of good things 
and good, really good hard work. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, there's a lot of great organizations. I'll even uh, add one city. I saw that, oh, that sorry, being quite yeah. present at a lot of places. And, and yeah. to do with the housing and homelessness yes. stuff, yeah. one city and E. Fry are, mm-hmm. are doing revolutionary things. Yeah. In terms, like they're buying property, they're getting mm-hmm. people housed, mm-hmm. right? And and they're just they just keep going like it's amazing it's yeah. amazing yeah yeah no so e fry has a peer a whole network of peer support workers that meet people where they're at mm-hmm. that are just amazing Karn, you know uh, finalize i know you got somewhere else to go but uh where's have you found your experience so far it seems like you've been hard at it even in the summer when you don't really think there's yeah. a great deal of interest in it yeah, I mean, hard. I don't have a really, really good team of people that mm-hmm. are seasoned veterans in the political culture here, and have really been helping me and, and guiding me what to do. Um, I've just been going after it. So we're, we've been door knocking like every night. I can do it, and on weekends, mm-hmm. handing out flyers, and and we're canvassing in this way where it's like really deep level canvassing. So we're staying at doors for you know sometimes forty five minutes, talking to people, and having really like tough conversations but um you know i've definitely taken to heart a lot that i've learned on, on in doing that and and the connection with the community like i've been able to i've been able to connect with so many people like new people that i haven't met old people that i haven't seen in years and by door knocking it's been one of the ways to like for me to to just do that right like, to have those connections which are so important and there's been some some funny but but interesting ideas that have come from the community, mm-hmm. right? Like one of them is that we don't have a central downtown dog park, you know. Yep. And I love I, I had a dog in Toronto, and like the mm-hmm. way we connected with our community downtown at Trinity Bellwoods Park yeah. was in the dog park. Mm-hmm. And so it's like when you're thinking about all these really hard issues, there's there's solutions to be had in to those things that don't necessarily involve like the heavy issues, right? Like right. We you build know. a connected, vibrant downtown by supporting ideas like having a dog park downtown where neighbors can meet each other, you know? And these are all these are all good things, right? Right. Yeah, um, you know, as far as I know, that doesn't require provincial permission, so yes. Yeah, but also, idea. like, it's yeah. just, it's an idea that comes from the community. I'm yeah. not just, it's not mm-hmm. my opinion. I'm hearing it from people right. that live in town ward, right? Mm-hmm. They would use this if they had it, you know? And so, it's been, that's been, like, that's been interesting. Those experiences like that have been cool. Right. Um, so this has been a way, in a way, of you've like like learning more or knowing your community better, in a sense. Yeah, and I think uh, yeah. city council needs. Like, I'm critical of the way the city has historically connected with the community. Mm-hmm. Right. They've done a great job to connect with like the middle class or the business class. Mm-hmm. But I think you know that the foundation of what council is is it's a representative of the entire community. Mm-hmm. Right? And so we need to foster more environments where the, our community can be engaged with one another, um, where we can hold each other accountable, where we can share ideas, where we can share our hardships. You know, I think those are all important, important things. Right. Um, and I would do that as a counselor. You know, I would, I would have, look into building, community building ideas like that, that fall outside of the box of like, city council meetings and policy and reading, you know. Right. And now I hope, um, I, I'm not saying this will happen, but say you prove to be unsuccessful on October 24th. Oh, do you yeah, still yeah, see? Yeah, all right. Yeah, well, yeah. I'm just saying, just trying to 
cover all the bases. Are, do you I, like? I hope the answer is yes to this. Do you still be, see yourself? Would you still want to be like active and engaged? Like I've never that came to me. This is the thing: is that is that I've never stopped. Yeah, I've never. I'm not doing anything differently. Mm-hmm. As much as like I've always had, I've always been straddling straddling the lines of like mm-hmm. my art practice, but I've been based downtown and I've been active in the community. Right. right. This is just a direction, a certain direction that I'm facing of being active in the community, community mm-hmm. and I will not stop. Um, and, I, and I'm not even thinking about that. I'm taking it one day at a time. Yes. No, that's why. Today I'm going to do to put up the small lawn signs, you mm-hmm. know, and when that's done, I'll, I'll get back on the streets and start to talk to people and continue to do that and continue to do that work. Um, but also just I'll continue to be driven by my daily experiences, my experiences as a father, as someone who has a small business downtown, mm-hmm. as someone who lives downtown, you know, as someone who goes to the coffee shop and talks to Jimson, and these mm-hmm. are all the experiences in which are never going to stop for me, but um, continue to motivate me and drive me and, and like push me along in whatever direction that takes. So, okay, yeah. well, I, well, best of luck on Thanks, this. Buddy. Thank you very much. Well, I hope indeed you did enjoy that uh, conversation with Alex. I apologize. The, there was one truck that didn't want to leave, and you're hearing the city downtown sounds, I think, more a bit louder even than when I was at the only with Justin Million. But uh, there you have it. It's a natural setting for our upcoming election for what I mentioned in our notes, our most exciting candidate, at least in Town Ward 3. So I will leave you leave it at that. But as uh, far I go, I guess if you, what am I supposed to say? If you say any comments or you have any star reviews, yeah, I, I, I'll just say I'm available on Google Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, Apple, most of them anyway, and. And check me out on Twitter to a corner of Hunter and George. So I'll see you next time on Peterborough's Art and Culture Podcast, Corner of Hunter and George. Just tight